we get to spend time just to sit down and to read the word together. I am excited about it. Um, as you guys know, we've been journeying through scripture from Genesis all the way now to the book of Song of Solomon. Now, some people, your Bibles may say Song of Solomon. The book actually calls itself the Song of Songs. And so I prefer to call it the Song of Songs, but you can call it the Song of Solomon if that's what you would prefer. Uh, but that's what we're reading today. And we're going to journey through the book of Song of Solomon. If you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. We're going to spend about 20, 30 minutes, probably leaning more closer to 30, because we'll see if we can get through the whole book today in reading, um, <clears throat> reading the book of Song of Solomon. But we've been journeying for 20 or 30 minutes a day, reading through the Bible. We've read through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire uh, Old Testament. And then we'll go back and read through the entire New Testament. I truly believe this, that one of the, uh, one of the most powerful endeavors as a believer is to read through Scripture. Not just like read the verse of the day, not just read, you know, the the message that was given to you that Sunday when you went to church, but to actually just sit and just read through the scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to give you revelation because the scripture is not meant for information. It's meant for revelation. And so this is a way that we learn to posture ourselves in meditating on scripture to actually read it, not just reading the words and understanding it with our mind but to engage with God as his spirit testifies to our spirit as we seek to hear from God. So today I want you, as we engage in the reading of the word, if you are here for the first time, those who are here, who've been here from the beginning, I got the OGs in the room. If you're an OG in this thing, you know what we do. We ask three questions. We prayerfully ask the three questions. God, first question is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Just pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you in that. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? That's the second question you're going to ask. And then the third question you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to read and we're going to, Seek to hear from God today. This isn't a Bible study. I save and reserve Bible study for Patreon. If you're interested in becoming part of the Patreon family and supporting this, go to patreon.com slash Isaac Freer, or just click the link in the bio or the link in the profile. That's for Bible study. We go a little bit deeper in there, but for what we're doing today, we just want to reflect and just see where God leads. Okay. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Father, we thank you. Uh, for this opportunity you've given us to come to read your word. Father, I just pray that you would bless us today. Lord, as we read your word, Father, I pray that you would reveal your heart to us, reveal your mind uh, to us, Lord. Conform us to you. Shape us and mold us in the reading of your word. Father, we don't want to just be informed today, but Father, we want to be transformed. We don't want just information, but Father, give us a revelation that will lead us to transformation. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Read along with me the book of the Song of Songs. Chapter 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Hmm. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If 
you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats because the shepherd's tent. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. While the king is at this table, the spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fur. Hmm. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like, the, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Like an apple tree among the tree of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with his delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to a banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the doers of the field. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Then the Shulamite says, The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Then her brothers say, Catch us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Hmm. The Shulamite replies, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Then she says to her beloved, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. Then the Shulamite says, By night on my bed I sought the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the do the doers of the field, the does, sorry, the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Hmm. Then the Shulamite says again, Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? 
and with all the merchant's fragrant powders. Behold, it is Solomon's couch, 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords being expert in war. Every man has a sword on his thigh because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palakin. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, and its interior paved with love. Hmm. By the daughters of Jerusalem, go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown, with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. Hmm. Then the beloved responds, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing every one of which bears twins and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David built for an armory on which hang a thousand buckles, bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot on you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. Come with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sanir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the shepherds, you have ravished my heart. My sister, my spouse, you have ravished my heart. With one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfume than all spices? Your lips, oh, my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden in clothes is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are like an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna like the spikenard. Spike nard and the saffron, the calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Hmm. The Shulamite responds, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Song of Songs 5. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. To his friends, he says. Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Hmm. Then the Shulamite says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I across open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. 
my fingers with liquid myrrh. On the handles of the lock, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am lovesick. Then the daughters of Jerusalem respond, What is your beloved? More than another beloved. O fairest among women, what is your beloved? More than another beloved, that you so charge us. Then the Shulamite responds, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with burl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphire. His legs are pillars of marble set on the bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, accent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Hmm. Son of Solomon 6. Or Son of Songs, as we would call it. 6. The daughters of Jerusalem respond, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone, the Shulamite responds, My beloved has gone to his garden to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Then the beloved replies, Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me for they overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, which have come from the washing. Everyone bears twins and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. You are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. The queen and the concubines, they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army of banners? The Shulamite responds, I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure, of the valley to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed before I was even aware my soul had made me and the chariots of my noble people. Then the beloved responds with his friends, return, return, O Shulamite, return, return that we may look upon you. The Shulamite responds, what would you see in the Shulamite? as it were, the dance of two camps. Hmm. Song of Songs 7. The beloved then replies, How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughter! The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is like a rounded goblet, it lacks no blended beverage. 
Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like the purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. This stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree, and I will take hold of its branches. And I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, and the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly, which the Shulamite says. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early into the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded whether the grapes blossom, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance and at your gates are pleasant fruits, all manner new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Song of Songs 8. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I could find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to instruct me. I would cause you to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. To the daughters of Jerusalem. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up awaken love until it pleases. Hmm. And then a relative speaks and says in verse five, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awaken you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. Then the Shulamite speaks to her beloved and says, Set me as a seal upon her, your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for your love is as strong as, as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire and most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give, if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Then the Shulamite's brothers say, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with the boards, with the boards of cedar. Then the Shulamite responds, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Haman and leased the vineyard to its keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit, a thousand silver coins. And then says, my own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand and those who tend its fruit, 200. Hmm. You, she says to the beloved now, you who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. 
Then the Shulamite replies, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stad on the mountains of spices. Hmm. On the mountains of spices. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the song of Solomon. Or the song of Solomon, sorry, or the song of songs according to Solomon. Or you can say that it is the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Either way, we've read the song of songs. Got a lot of thoughts. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, and I always say this, I know I'm going to just rant. Okay. I'm just going to rant. And if you're done reading, you can move on, but I'm just going to rant and we'll see where the Lord leads here. But I did want to share a couple thoughts, just what the Lord is leading me into and what he's speaking into me today as I'm reading through this text. Um, song of songs is. It's one of those. <laughs> what do I mean by one of those? It's one of those that we read and I'll say we read it and we misread it. That's just be me being gracious. We read Solomon and we misread it. We read it. And usually we read it with our minds in a certain direction. We read Solomon and we oversimplify the reading of Solomon to read Solomon as a book of sexual expression. And not to say that there isn't an expression of what we call the Eros love <clears throat> or the Eros, which is where we get the word erotic from. Um, there are many types of love. There is what we call the filial love, philos. And the Phyllis love is the love that we experience when we enjoy something. So the Phyllis love is a responsive love. The Phyllis love is the kind of love that, you know, it's the kind of love that when you enjoy something to a very high degree, you tend to say, I love this. It's really responsive. You don't love it. You actually really, really, really like it, meaning it produces a pleasure or a certain satisfaction. And as a result of that satisfaction, you respond with this feeling of love. It's responsive. The filial love is the love that friends have for one another because friendships are usually birthed out of mutual satisfaction, mutual gratitude mutual joy. And so there's a mutuality. That's why people can be your friend, right? <clears throat> and a friend may be an acquaintance and you, you enjoy your time with them because there's some similarities. Very rarely do you have a friend who you uh, don't find commonality in. Most of your friends in your life, they exist in your life because there's a shared experience, a shared joy, a shared cultural context. Most of our friends look like us, think like us, talk like us. They are like us. And that's where we get the word philos from, the filial love, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly philos, love, brotherly love, Philadelphia. There's that kind of love. And then there's the, um, the agape love. The agape love is the all-encompassing highest dimension, highest degree of love. It's the sacrificial love, the consuming love. It is the, not the responsive love, but the proactive love. The agape love is a love that does. It does out of its own conviction. Agape love is the love that acts out of its own uh, convictions about what it sees and what it does and how it is. And so it, it doesn't wait for anything. It doesn't 
seek anything. It simply does. It's the love that does. It's the love that we are not naturally born with. <clears throat> We're not naturally born with that love. We are naturally responsive to what we call the philos love, the lowest degree of love. And so agape love is uh, the highest dimension, highest degree of love. It is the love that is unselfish. It's the love that does, the active love. And I don't want to get into all of that. And then there's the eros love. That's where we get the term erotic from. And the eros love is the expressed love. It's the love that is... Uh, it's pleasurable, but it's not a love that responds to pleasure. I want to make sure you understand the difference and the distinctions between these loves. It's not the love that responds to pleasure. That's the philos love. It's not the love that is proactive, whether or not whether something is pleasing or not. That is the agape love. As a matter of fact, the agape love tends to do what is unpleasant because that's what agape love does. It seeks out. It does. Eros love is the love that directly seeks pleasure, satisfaction. And the Eros love is usually tertiary to either the filial love or the agape love. Why am I bringing all this up? Why does all this matter? We're going to get to the point. <laughs> get to my point. I kind of want to throw, out, throw, throw all that out there for you all. So you guys can get to my conclusion today. The Eros love is not lust. Because lust is the Eros love that comes out of the filial love. But the Eros love that comes out of the agape love, that is the expression of the all-consuming love of God. God created the Eros love and it embodies his character. So when we talk about, you know, we, we tend to make, you know, sexual desire. We, we tend to make it a dirty thing. You know, it's sinful. We tend to diminish it and reduce it. Not realizing that this is a part of God's creation. This is a dimension of God's love. Uh, this is a, a beautiful part of life and of who God is and how God expresses himself through his people. Notice what I said there, how God expresses himself through his people. You know, the problem is, is that we have defined, we have defined sexual passion and sexual love within the context of our own self-expression. Like I am what I'm attracted to. I am what I desire. And if I feel this way and I want to seek after this, let me just express myself this way. Not realizing that if it embodies the heart and character of God, like if God created sex and if God created sexual desire and if God created all that, then our activity is actually through the heart and the character of God. So therefore now, the practice of this Eros love that we're talking about is not for our own pleasure and satisfaction, but for the glory of God, where God now manifests himself through our encounters with each other. There's a framework to this. Erotic love is not for our own pleasure. It's for now God to flow through it. Meaning then if the purpose behind, you know, sexual desire or erotic expression is pleasure. The question is, is to what end is that pleasure coming from? Because if that pleasure is simply coming from me being me, doing my own thing, living my own life and just enjoying what I enjoy and loving what I love and liking what I like. And let me just, you know, let me just be me and express me in the way that 
I want to be. The question is, what room did we give for God in all of that? Like, where, where's, where's God in this? Answering on this question, because we live in an era today where truth is what's pleasurable. Let me repeat that one more time. We live in an era today where what's good is what feels good and what isn't good is what's painful. We live in an era today where we just seek what's most comfortable, most pleasurable. And so now we define our identities around what we find pleasure in, what we like, what we enjoy, what we feel, not realizing that all those things, if you're identified by them, are fleeting, they disappear, they're gone. So who are we really? I'll go even deeper than this. You are not what you desire. You are not defined by what you like. You're not defined by what's pleasant and pleasurable. You're not defined by any of that. You're defined by one thing, and that is God himself, you have been made in the image and in the likeness of God. And so if you're made, if we are made in the image and likeness of God, we are not defined by what we're attracted to. We're not defined by what we find pleasing. We're not defined by what we like. And truth and reality is not based off of what feels good. Because some of the most valuable and most important things in life are the things that actually don't feel good the things that are painful, the things that are difficult. Do not minimize your life based off of what you're attracted to, what brings you pleasure, what you like, and what you love. There's more to life than that, and there's more to you than that. There's more to each and every one of us than that. So when we talk about the Eros love, we almost talk about Eros love as if it's separate from all the other loves. As if it's separate from all the other, you know, from philos and from agape. And yet, it is just an expression of that. It is a <laughs> divine hedonism. It's, it's a love that is expressed through whatever motivates me. And in our world today, people are generally motivated by what brings them pleasure. So because people are motivated by what brings them pleasure, the way Eros is lived out is based off of what feels good. But just because it feels good doesn't mean that it is good. But what about, and this is where it gets deep now, what about an Eros love that is rooted in the agape? What about an Eros love that comes out of the all-consuming character and essence of God? What about the love that actually embodies God? Do not ever confuse sexual desire with lust. Lust is just the seeking for the pleasure of self. What feels good. What I like. My truth. Of course, we know the Lord hates lust because it, it does not embody his character. Why am I bringing all this up? <sighs> to get to my point, when we read Song of Solomon, if we can be honest, we don't read it from the perspective of agape. When we read Song of Solomon, we tend to read it from the perspective of the philos. We read the eros from the philos instead of reading the eros from the agape. And so because we read the Eros from the Philos, 
we read and we go, ooh, this thing racy. Mm-mm. Did you hear what he said? Did you see what she said? Mm-mm. What is he saying now? What are your hips like? What is your tongue like? What are your eyes like? What are your lips like? Did you hear what he said? Did you see what she said? And then we kind of read it and then we all get all weird and uncomfortable about it. You wonder why? Because we're reading it from a filial perspective. Not from an agape perspective. There's a reason why this is called the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is another way of saying this is the greatest song. Erotic poetry existed in Hebrew time. Erotic poetry wasn't a new thing. But there was something different about this particular poetry than all the others. Something about this love story is different than the others. This is the song of songs in the same way that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This one is the song of songs. What makes this the greatest song? Like, like what makes the song of songs the greatest song? Is it because Somehow there seems to be sexual undertones in this. What would make this the Song of Songs? Unless it's the Song of Songs because it's bringing reference to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What if I told you that most people read the Song of Songs wrong? And what if I told you most people, when they read it, they read it and they don't even know what this book is really about. You read it, they'll tell you everything in it. Ooh, there's something about juice coming from a pomegranate. (laughs) There's something about climbing up a tree. There's something about, there's all kinds of innuendo, all kinds of metaphors and symbolism and all that good stuff. Yeah, you talk about that. But then if you ask a person, what is it about? What's the purpose of the book? What's the point of the book? Why does the book exist? What is the book bringing reference to? What is the point? Well, let's start off by saying this. I'm ranting, y'all. I'm ranting. So y'all just hearing me just speak out loud, okay? I'm ranting, y'all. Song of Songs is not about um, sexual desire. So get your dirty mind off of it. <laughs> okay. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> I love y'all fam. So I can say stuff like that. But get your mind out of the gutter. That's not what it's about. As a matter of fact, it's the last chapter that really tells you about what it's about. And it's hard because most people, when they read, they go, Okay, Um, all right, we just read, man. This is, you know, some guy who's the beloved and it looks like he's he's about to get it on. Like they they're burning with passion. They're burning with passion. And man, they just ready to go in. I mean, they just just ready to go in. If that's the case, then what did Jesus mean? When he said that all scripture testifies of him. Where's Jesus in this? When he says, you know, um, every word in the scripture testifies of him. Where's Jesus? When we read it from the perspective of Philos, we get our dirty minds on this text. But if we read it from the vantage point of the agape, we see a whole different story. I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'm going to say it over and over again and over and over again and over and over again and over and over again. When we read the Old Testament, 
you need to take your Western or Western influenced way of thinking out of the scripture. You need to take your cultural context out of it. I've always said this, like we all need to do this. Cause sometimes we insert ourselves and insert our way of thinking and insert our ideology, insert all of that into the scripture. And so we miss it because we're too busy inserting ourselves into it. But if you back up for a moment and you read it from the context of the person that wrote it to the people that it was written to, then, and you study the story and the history behind that, you're going to get a whole different understanding of the Hebrew scripture. I'm going to just, I don't have time to really break it down. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a Song of Songs Bible study. I might do that on Patreon. What y'all think about that? I might do a Song of Songs Bible study on Patreon. I, that might be, yeah, why not? Sure. Maybe we'll do that. We'll see. We'll see what time affords us. Um, we'll have more and more time prayerfully in the months to come as you guys continue to help support and make this thing a reality. But I'll I'll, I'll submit this because I'm just going to cut through a lot of corners here because I don't have enough time to break it down. We need to think two things here. Two things. I want you to think about two things and let this work. And this is where we ask about, well, God, reveal yourself to us here. Speak to your heart here. The first thing that you must understand is that from a Hebrew perspective, you can't separate our expressions with each other as people and God. You can't separate the two. As a matter of fact, this love that God expresses to us flows not only from the grace that God expresses to us, but then how we live with one another. So I just want to just preface all that by saying our interactions with each other ought to be a reflection of God's interactions with us. Therefore, our relationships with each other ought to be reflections of God's relationship with his people. Marriage it's not about my satisfaction. Marriage is not about being a power couple. Marriage is, you know, the problem with marriage is a lot of people, they get married, but they get married for their own personal intentions. Most people, when they want to get married, they want to be a power couple. You know, we want to be a power couple. We want to get the bag. We're going to start our own thing. We're going to build our own legacy. We're going to, all that's good. All that's great and all. But the purpose of your marriage is not your glory, your satisfaction. The purpose of your marriage is to point to God's relationship with his people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, then, marriage is not about Let's get our money right. Let's pull our finances together. Let's get, you know, let's get our resources together. Let's have kids and let's do. No, it wasn't about that. And marriage wasn't supposed to be about having a license to have sex. That's not the purpose of marriage either. The purpose of marriage is to be a symbolic image of the relationship that God has with his people. Which is, of course, why there's an attack on marriage. Because if you can destroy the symbol of God's relationship with his people, you bring into doubt and into question the people in their relationship with God. So if marriages are broken, it's pointing to the brokenness of the relationship that God has with his people. And this is so critically important because often when we go into marriage, we think about what we want to get out of it. What I get out of this? What, how do I benefit from this? You know, how does this work out for me? How is Christ glorified? That's the question. How does God get glory from this? How does this point to God's relationship with us? Marriage is bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. And this intimacy in this relationship that we have with each other, it's, it's, it's bigger than just 
I think you look good and you fine. Or man, I love man. I love him and I love what he can provide. You know, maybe he got the biceps and the look or he got whatever it is. So I'm attracted to him. So I'm going to get married to him. You don't get married to somebody that you're just attracted to. That is not what Song of Songs is speaking about. We're missing the point. There's something deeper to that. And so I want to preface first by saying this, this thing, this, this, this relationship, this marriage, how we ought to be with one another should point to the relationship that God has with his people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Hebrew perspective of this, because our interactions with each other point to something greater, that there are many dimensions to this. There are many dimensions even to our sexual interactions because they're spiritual just as much as they are physical. There's no separation between the spirit and the body. There's no separation between the spiritual and the physical. And so there's a framework to see flourishing through the relationship of the spiritual and the physical. That was the first point. Second point is, is that the Hebrews understood this. And because the Hebrews understood this, when they read Song of Solomon, we read it like, man, this is racy, man. I love Song of Solomon and all that because we're sticking our filial into it, not seeing the agape out of it out of it, they saw the agape out of it. And what they saw was, is that this is a deeper story about a bride and a groom, one who is betrothed and engaged, but has not yet seen the marriage, has not yet seen consummation, has not yet seen the two becoming one flesh, has not yet seen the oneness that from the garden, there was a separation. Even between Adam and Eve, there was a separation. And yet between Adam and Eve was a separation. Between God and man, there was a separation. And yet now mankind is waiting for that union, waiting to be one, waiting for that. So the children of Israel, when they read this text, they read it within the context of we are the bride waiting to be betrothed waiting in our betrothal to be married to our groom. The children of Israel read it that way. We simply read it like, okay, this is about a fine woman and a prince or a king. Oh yeah, this is about a fine woman. And this is about a king. This is about Israel, the bride, coming to be joined with her husband Notice, people always want to say that this points to Solomon. Here's the problem with that, this point to Solomon. Because if you notice, this is about the beloved. And I think, which text is it? Just to kind of point this out to you all. Because people say, well, this is about Solomon and, and, and this woman. This is not about Solomon and this woman. I'm going to tell you why I don't believe it is. The reason why I don't believe it's about Solomon and this woman is because, first of all, if you go to chapter 7, I believe it's chapter 7. If you go to chapter seven, he makes reference, the author makes reference to both Solomon and also to the beloved. So Solomon isn't the beloved. There's a distinction between Solomon and the beloved. I believe that's in chapter, I'm ranting y'all, so stay with me for a second. I believe it's in chapter seven. So you can go back and see the exchange that's happening between the Shulamite, which really all the Shulamite, the Shulamite just means a woman uh, of Israel, the bride who's engaged to this man whom she loves, who is searching after him, seeking after him. When you understand it that way, man, some of these imageries change. When he speaks about her exterior, yes, this is about the beauty of a woman's exterior. But this beauty is actually pointing to a greater beauty, and it's the beauty of Israel. And so he's describing things. But when you see that, he's actually describing a land, a nation, a people. He's describing the beauty that's come from this people. He's describing, you know, um, you know, just the, the, 
just the immense beauty when he describes the woman and the beloved. Okay, here it is. I'm sorry. I was actually looking through here because I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong book, y'all. My bad. Um, I was. I don't know why I flipped to that book, but um, if you look here where it speaks to, and yeah, chapter eight. Sorry, it's actually in chapter eight. I don't know why I said chapter six, but in chapter eight, notice. He says, my own vineyards before me, you, O Solomon, may have a thousand and those who tend its fruit, 200. And then it goes back to the beloved who then says, you who dwell in the mountains, the companions, listen to your voice. Let me hear it. And then now he's having this engagement. This is a, this is a love letter. And in this love letter, when you see the description, when he says that, um, um, if you go back and see a description of the beloved or you go back and see the description of the Shulamite, you're going to see actual descriptions of the temple, the temple that points to Eden. These are layers. I, I, I'm out of time. I just want to make sure you, I want you to see more to this. I'm just challenging you to see more to this. That song of songs is not a book that is written to simply talk about our expression, our sexual expression. Song of Solomon is a book about how our expressions, how we can experience joy and satisfaction out of the agape love of God. This is about expressing ourselves within the context of something greater and something bigger. So yes, it's okay for us to express ourselves sexually because God created that. But to what end? To what end? Do we do it at the right time? When he says, my beloved, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He speaks about the singularity of his relationship with her. So this couldn't have been Solomon. When you see the daughters of Jerusalem, you see descriptions of the other nations. When you see those in relationship, you see other nations and other peoples. But there's a yearning that she has, a yearning that she has to be with her beloved and to express herself this way. You say, man, she, she, got, she, got, she got fire in her pants. But then she says, I charge you in Song of Solomon chapter 3, verse 5. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up unawakened love until it pleases. There's a time for the consummation. This is personal. This is corporate. There's layers to this. This is about us individually with God. This is about God with his people. And this is about how it's expressed in the relationship of a man and a woman. So let's get our dirty minds off the text and let's see more for what God has in store through his word. I gotta go fam, but I wanna pray with y'all. Father, I thank you Lord, for all that you're doing even in this moment. Father, I thank you for this book. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us that um, <laughs> that sex isn't something that we avoid, but rather it's something that you find glory in. Father, teach us, Lord, to look beyond simply our own pleasure and satisfaction, but Lord, that we would see your glory through it all. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have the mindset that in all things we do, do it for your glory. So bless us, Lord God, as we engage with this day, Father. I pray, Lord, that this would not just give us revelation for how we ought to be in marriage or how we ought to be outside of marriage, but also Lord, that it would teach us how we ought to be with each other and what we ought to anticipate and the hope that we can have that there would be one day when you would join with us, that we would be one in you. And we saw this come into fruition at the cross. Lord, at the marriage ceremony of the cross, Lord, where we became one with you. And now we are one in each other. And so now in all things we do, we do it pointing to what you have accomplished on the cross. 
Lord, give us the grace, Lord, to see more. Give us the grace to see a greater thing, a greater story, a bigger thing. Lord, to not just look at the simplicity from our um, carnal eyes, but Lord, that our spirit would be made alive to see what you have done and accomplished. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Gotta run, fam. Love y'all. I hope this was helpful. Um, I want to encourage you as well. Just so you guys know, heads up, my TikTok has been acting a little weird. Um, and this is how my TikTok had acted before they banned me the first time. So like certain posts I post, they don't go up. I think maybe like there were two videos that I posted yesterday. No, there were four videos I posted yesterday. Only two went out. So I know that um, whenever that happens, it, it it's possible that they may ban me again. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it feels like your shadow. That's possible as well. So all I'm saying is, guys, is if my TikTok gets banned, I hope it doesn't. But if it does, please follow me on the other platforms. Not just that. I encourage you guys to join my email list, okay? Or become a patron. But join my email list. Click the link in the bio. Connect with me on all those platforms. Definitely join my email list, though, because if anything changes, we'll have another platform to go to. We'll continue to do this. We won't stop doing this. Okay, fam? So I encourage you guys um, to uh, subscribe to the podcast. Text me as well. That's another way for me to update you, keep you connected. The number is 954-231-1848. 954-231-1848. I got to run. I got to go. But yeah, I just want to give you the heads up, please. I pray that you guys will definitely either become a patron or join my email list or both. All right. Well, if you become a patron, you're already on my email list. So there you go. But I love y'all. I can't wait to see y'all tomorrow. We are we're starting the prophets tomorrow. We're going to read Isaiah tomorrow. Ooh, that's a heavy one. So anyway, I will see y'all tomorrow. Love y'all. Peace out.